You're listening to The Gateway Church. For more information, please go online to thegatewaychurch.com. Gateway, good morning. Yeah. Hey, I'm Kyle. Uh, I am one of the elders here. Um, pleasure to be here with you. I just want to say, uh, before, we, like, before we dive into the teaching text and everything this morning, um, just thank you. <laughs> it might seem a curious thing just to start out by just saying thanks, um, but it, no kidding, like six months has, have gone by. And so Nate it kind of hits it on the head when we've been in it together. And so it was just a sweet thing these three weeks back that we were here um, to just be received by you all. Um, and so to, to come out here uh, was a great comfort to me. I mean, just like the ease of the drive. Yes, it's like super easy just to drive through Iowa. It's just one straight shot. Boom. Um, but to know where we were coming, to know where I was coming to, and know the people who I was coming to, uh, to be a part of. So just thank you. Um, I, it's, it is, um, yeah, not a pithy thing for me to say, like, we feel so loved and welcomed by you all. Um, so there, there you have it. Take that as you will. You can put it in your back pocket for later. Uh, so, so really, before we actually get into our teaching text, there's that. But then, uh, if, if you can, I would just invite you to uh, think back to the last time we were together. And so if you can, jog your memory back those some three weeks ago. And if you can't do that, maybe because you're like, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast, let alone what happened three weeks ago, or perhaps you just weren't here, uh, let me just remind you. So we were in the opening line of the gospel according to Mark. And what that says is, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And if you might recall, uh, what Mark was doing there was he was trying to continue in this movement of Jesus and this emerging generations of these followers of Jesus to keep the story alive in their minds, in their hearts, in their hands. And he has this hope as he lays out this line at the opening of his gospel that would, it, it would so stir the affections of, of these people that, that they would see that Jesus truly is who he, who he claims to be, that he is the, the inbreaking of the renewal of all things, that, that he's the fulfillment of the grand hope of the scriptures, and that he truly is the one in whom we can place our hope irrespective of what's going on in our lives. This, this is what Mark sets out to do. This, these were the first words that we shared together. And it's, it's reasonable, to, like reasonable to presume that Mark was pretty successful with, with this hope that he aimed to accomplish, because here we find ourselves some two millennia, some 2,000 years later, like in a high school auditorium of all places. So something happened. Something took root in the gospel according to Mark. Something went down deep. And today, we are a part of the fruit of this gospel proclamation. So wherever you find yourself, whether you, you are like wrestling with the reality of Jesus, how in the world could, could God put on a bod? Like, how does this make sense? Like, or, or you're just, you're, you're thinking, what, what is it to actually cling to Jesus? Like, I, I don't, wherever you're at this morning, this is still happening. This is still bearing fruit. We get to participate in this thing. And so if the gospel of Jesus really is 
the beginning of the renewal of all things, it begs this question of like, well, okay, so what do we do? Like, what do we do with this thing? If we really trust that we are loved by God in Christ, what do we do? Where do we go from here? And this is, uh, this is kind of where we're heading this morning. And what's, what's to follow? I, I don't presume it's going to be like the exhaustive answer to this question of where do we go if we actually believe we're loved by God in Christ. There's like, my goodness, there's so much to be had here. But as I poured over this question, the weight of all of the transitions, the tra- transitions that Nate mentioned that have been going on for like gosh, 24 months or something like that, the, the, the transitions that we are standing in right now that we're experiencing and the ones that are ahead, all of those were kind of coming to a head as I was considering this question. And I couldn't help, I mean, because uh, like I'm, I don't know, like a self-involved millennial. So I thought about myself and I was just like, goodness, like me and Jess, we're, we're coming here. We're, we're being knit into this community, like something Gosh, like so, and it, it's like it's scary. Like all of, um, like I'm going to be found out. We we present well, don't we? Um, but then you'll get, you know, you get comfortable and you say the thing, and you're like, oh no, oh no, how are they going to receive it? And so these are the thoughts that are coming to my mind as I'm like, where do we go if we actually believe that we are loved by God in Christ? And, and it's, it's a risky thing as we move towards one another with that question in mind. Suffice it to say, like, change is challenging. We've been in the midst of a lot of change. We are going to encounter a little bit more change here. Um, but it, it goes both ways. I, I don't think I'm the only one feeling this. Am I? No? Okay. So for that reason, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to talk about Vulnerability. Um, I was talking to Nate about this, and he says, yeah, just rip the scab right off. I said, all right, let's, let's do it. So just so we're all on the same page about what I'm talking about when I'm talking about vulnerability, there's an author and professor who has this, I think, good scaffolding of a definition for vulnerability. And this is what she says. Vulnerability is the emotion we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Vulnerability is not winning or losing, and I love this part, it's having the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome. So this is what I'd like to talk about. The courage to, so like we've done this in part, we've shown up as the church, like just as as a brief reminder and a little bit of an aside, the church is not the place obviously where we come, but we are the church. So the courage to show up here, to be face to face, this, it's It's risky. And so just to, to shape our, our time and hopefully to shape our culture, I'm, I'm just going to pray over and for us, and then we're going to get after it. How's that sound? Good. Well, Father, we, uh, we give pause um, even now, and we just ask that you, through the power of your word and your spirit, that you would meet us, that you would meet us in the midst of all the crap, in the midst of all the stuff in the midst of the joys, that you, Jesus, through the power of your spirit would come. So we just pray this simple yet bold and awkward prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us with joy and gladness and hope this morning as we sit ourselves under your word. Amen. 
So if we could return once more to our uh, teaching text, if you have your Bibles, you can flip or tap your way on over. I'm going analog here, so I'm going to flip on over. Philippians chapter 2, it's going to be in your New Testament. No shame, also, table of contents is one of the greatest tools that we have, Um, but if you're just poking at your phone screen, you'll find it quicker than me. So uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, this is our teaching text. Uh, But what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually read from verse 5 to verse 11 just to give us some context of what's happening here uh, in this passage. And so this is what we read. This is Paul writing to a a community of Christ followers who are are Greek, and um, this is what he says to them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus, the Christ, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. So this is like a a beautiful passage. Uh, It's it's often called the Christ hymn. This has exercised the minds of Christians and scholars for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And and I recently, I heard a, a, a pastor teach on this is pastors. His name's Dave Lomas. He pastored a church out in San Francisco, and uh, it like it messed with me, like it did something in my guts. Um, and I uh, so a lot of what uh, we're gonna hear and, and go through this morning, I've gleaned from him. But what I want to do that's a little bit different is uh, I want to focus in on this phrase "one another." Or uh, see if you're reading out of the NIV, you might have read read this in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so as we consider vulnerability, I just want us to lean into this this phrase, this one another. And this phrase here, it occurs some hundred times in the New Testament. And when it's used, what the authors are are doing is is they're going to be inviting, they're going to be challenging, they're going to be doing this, this thing called exhorting. Like this, offering these encouraging words to their community, sometimes challenging words to their community, to actually follow the teachings of Jesus, to live out truth, or what you'll often see uh, this uh, like missionary church planner guy's name's Paul. Uh, what he'll do is he, he will say, live in Christ. So when you see this in Christ language, this is kind of the stuff that's going on. And this may, may be obvious when we're talking about the one another's, but I don't want to make any assumptions. Uh, This thing that we're doing, like this following of Jesus, it's not an isolated thing. It's not just something you do by yourself. You may, um, like if you were to walk into the room and see how we're seated here this morning, you might think it is something you do by yourself. But this is actually something we do together. This is a social, communal reality. This is is what one anothering is. It, and it's actually, it goes so far as this is the, rea- like the hinge upon which the reality of following Jesus swings, these one anothering. And just listen to, to, to Jesus' words. So if you're like, okay, Kyle, you, oh, I don't know. Uh, listen to Jesus' words here in the gospel according to John. 
this is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for one another. In the wake of the Jesus event, so this is, when I say the Jesus event, this is what I mean. His life, his death, so his words, his deeds, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, his sending of his empowering presence, his very spirit, his self, like this whole thing in the wake of this, what the New Testament writers spur these followers of Jesus to do are these, is one anothering. I think I just made that, I think I made that up. I don't know if that's a real thing, one anothering, but let's, let's just go with it. Just listen to some of these statements. I'm just going to read them through here. Uh, instruct one another. Be patient with one another. Ooh, how, by the way, how's that one going? Yeah, I, I'm feeling it. Uh, love one another. C- carry one another's burdens. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Can I get an amen? No? Okay. I don't, I don't want that to actually happen, but it's like, it's, biblical, so um, encourage one another. So when the the New Testament writers have in their mind these one another's, and as they set them in front of their audience, it's not just arbitrary. It's not just throwing these things out there. They actually have Jesus as the aim of the one anothering. So check out uh, a few of these um, one anotherings. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Submit to one another. Now, this is like a swear word in our culture, submit. Um, but let me just, as, as an aside, because this can be kind of a sticking point. Um, Jesus has in his mind, Paul, as he's writing this, has in this mind a, a Jesus whose love orients him towards the good of others at his own expense. So this submission, submission is not you with your, like the, your boot on someone's neck. This is, this is a submission where you rank yourself under this person, and, and then this person, as they see you ranking yourself underneath them, they, they respond, they're like, oh my gosh, that looks like Jesus. Now I'm going to do the same. So we're building one another up in love. That's, that's this idea of submission. So if that's a, a sticky thing for you, just find me. We can talk more about it later. Uh, it, we go on. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The one another's are the very things that display the truthfulness of Jesus' claims. Just say that again. The one another's are the very things that display the truthfulness of Jesus' claims. So if you think how you, if you think following Jesus is just in your brain, let me just tell you, um, Paul is going to challenge you this morning because it's actually something you do in your body. And so it follows that if there is no one anothering amongst those who name the name of Jesus, like our witness, our faith is not just neutral in Des Moines, it's actually diminished. That's why James, Jesus' half-brother, will will go along and and he'll say things like, do not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. If if we're to be known by our love, which Jesus says is fully accessible, if we're to be known by our love, and the one and others are the fertile soil of sowing love, how will the people in our city actually know this? How will our neighbors and our families and our friends like see this? 
How will they know that Jesus is alive in us if his teachings aren't on display through us? And if this feels weighty, Kyle, I didn't come to church to hear this this morning. I just wanted to be encouraged. Well, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm following the pattern of Paul and the other New Testament writers. I want to encourage us to exhort us to, to say this. If it feels weighty, it's because it is. But hear this. The one another's are not a guilt trip in the name of Jesus. So there's no guilt. There's no shame in the one another's. This is an invitation to participate in the life of Jesus. But when we see Jesus clearly, that's when it starts to feel heavy. And so, yes, Jesus does ask much of his followers, but yes, Jesus does give the grace so that we can step into the fray of one anothering. And we do so by sowing the seeds of love. And yes, this is challenging, but you see, it's not just for our city. It's not just for our neighbors and neighborhood. It's not just for our friends and our family. Like We need it. We need the one anothering just as much as those outside of us do. See, if no one seeks unity with us, if no one is hospitable towards us, if no one speaks the truth to us, if, if no one forgives us as God in Christ forgave them, if no one loves us when we need it the most, then our faith will be something isolated. It will be something entirely separate from intimacy and connection. And what, what I think will happen in that space is our faith will shrivel into something that bears little to no resemblance of the faith of Jesus. So yes, this feels heavy. See, but when I, um, I haven't been here long, like this is my second time here. <laughs> so, um, but when I think about our church, when I think about Gateway, even in the short time I've been here, I've, I've witnessed these like great feats of love like, that kind of just make you go, what? what? It, it ought not be surprising that great feats of love are on display in the church, but come on. Like, I, I've seen these things. I've seen the power of Jesus on dis display. Just to, just to say that we are all here after the stuff that's gone, that we've all gone through, like that, that's not you, white. maybe in some moments it's you white-knuckling your way through, but that is the power of Jesus on display. See, but I, I imagine that if we pressed in a little bit and if we were willing to admit it, because we're talking about vulnerability here this morning, so why not? Uh, like, I, I think we might even be surprised how many of us are weary. If, it, if it's not what we've gone through here, then it's our job. If it's not what we've gone through here and it's not our job, then it's our health. And if it's not our health, then it's some strained relationship or, or whatever. And th this, is, this is my point. If, if you're weary, if you find yourself isolated, if you find yourself lonely or, or like longing and anxious, I don't think it's because something's wrong with you. I, I think it's because something is gloriously right with you. See, the tension we live in is that we were created for face-to-face, life-on-life intimacy and connection with one another. So the way the Bible kind of describes this intimacy and connection is this, that we were created in the image of God, male and female, we were created. And, and 
God, the God of the Bible, the God in whose image we were created, the God who is three in one, this community of self-giving love, Father, Son, Spirit, this, this is, is the image in whose we were created. And when we begin to unpack what, what it means to be created in God's image in this conversation about vulnerability, it means that we were created to need, which um, in our context, like, in, 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 this, is, this is gross. To, I, okay, I'll speak for myself. To need something exposes me. It says that I actually don't have my poop in a pile. It says I don't have all my stuff together. It says I need, like, to need something is, there's this thing called resume anxiety. So if you're, like, having recently applied to medical school or something, or you've been doing interviews, uh, you, may, you may know this, this tension. It's, this, it's a real thing. It's like, I don't know if it's in the DSM or anything, but uh, it's, it, there's so much angst around how we're presenting ourselves, it's crippling. And yet, we were created to need. We were created to need intimate and transparent connection. But from where we sit today, there's a gap. There's a gap who, from where we desire to be and, like, and where we actually are. And, and sometimes the chasm is wide and sometimes it feels short. Sometimes we have no idea where that even is going to go. Generally, we have a good idea around like New Year's and the resolutions. We kind of say, oh, well, there I can identify something over there. But you see what, what this means is that in, in for order for us to be vulnerable with one another, it, it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take a, hard, a lot of hard work to, to, to like get across this gap. And if some of you, um, you're thinking, oh, no, Kyle's talking about work, heresy. Just press pause for a moment. Um, when I'm talking about work, I'm not talking about like a works righteousness. I'm, I'm talking about what Dallas Willard, who's this great Christian philosopher and thinker, what he was on about when he would talk about grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So I'm talking about work in concert with grace. I'm talking about effort in concert with grace. And it's going to take much intentionality to bridge this gap. So we need to make every effort to combat isolation, it, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to adopt these new ways of being human. We're going to have to like, take on these new practices, these new habits of heart. We're going to have to be aware of what we're ingesting and digesting because what comes out of our heart, like, like stuff springs out of that place. And, and these things, these new patterns, these new practices, it, they, they must, they must draw us in to face-to-face, life-on-life connection to stir our affections for the ways of Jesus. And I don't, like, I don't know what, if any, attention you pay to, like, the Twitter sphere or even, like, the, the Christian Twitter sphere, but these last couple of weeks have just been a train wreck. Um, like, people saying things that you're just like, you're a Christian leader and there's venom on your tongue. Like, so let me, let me just, why am I saying this? This is not, like, what we do matters. And so whether it's in your relationship with your best friend, your roommate, your spouse, whomever, like, what we do, what we say, how we interact, it matters. And so if we're even as something as simple as jumping on the Twitter sphere and berating somebody, 
This is not how we operate in the family of God. It is just simply, this has no place among us. This is not living out of the one another's. This is the gap. And if we're honest, it's not, it's not easy because this is more natural to us than we would care to admit. And so it'll take a great measure of intentionality to cultivate a culture of vulnerability here where we can lean into these hard spaces, clinging tightly to the grace of God. And yet um, this, this gap, like, I just want to spend some time unpacking it. And so if you would, uh, turn with me to, to Genesis uh, chapter 6, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And um, if you recall, we, we touched on this briefly a few weeks back, but um, like our story doesn't start in Genesis chapter 3. Our story starts uh, on pages 1 and 2, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, uh, but it devolves into this. And our, like, our story starts in this beautiful place of relational harmony and, and intimacy and, and connection. It's, it's, uh, in, the, in the scripture it says it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And what we see coming out of this very good is we see Adam, we see Adam, humanity. Uh, and then the first thing that's kind of out of place in this story is that Adam's alone. And so it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so then we get Eve, and then we get this first glimpse at relational harmony and how the authors of Genesis, how the authors of the scripture describe this intimacy as they say, naked and unashamed. And this um, we often place into the, like the context of a marital, like sexual relationship, but this is not what's going on here. This is, this is the language of, of intimacy and connection. There's, there's, there's no shame to be had there. And it's uh, reasonable to presume that if, if like the fall, the human fallout never took place, that we would still be here today naked and without shame. And maybe that's kind of funny to think about. Um, I found myself chuckling when I wrote that. Um, see, but, but then what happens is uh, the talking snake in Genesis 3 gets kind of weird. and This mysterious evil shows up. And it's uh, in, in, like in the serpent. And the tactic of the serpent is to go right after relationship. He starts uh, casting these uh, doubts. Like, did, did God really say that? Is that what he said? In essence, the, the, the serpent in this conversation with Eve, he's, he's saying, can you, can you trust that God is who he says, that, that he's actually one who moves towards you in love, who, who you can, can, can you and this is, this is where we, we pick up the story. So um, this is Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, then they like sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And by the way, um, just to put a pin right there, this is just what God would do. He would just show up. He would just, just, just show up to be with them. God would just walk in the ways of wisdom, just like hanging out, Adam and Eve, just chilling. This is God's thing. And, and, he, and he shows up to be with them, and they heard them, and this, and this is what we read. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, hey, uh, where are you? And he said, I, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, well, who told you that you were naked? I don't know if God had that inflection in his voice, but uh, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman. The, the woman. Like, you, the one that, you know, the one that, I just went, I fell asleep, and I woke up, and she was just there. The woman. Whom you gave me, who you, whom you gave to be with me, well, she gave me fruit of the tree, and, well, and then I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent. Like, God, what is a talking snake doing in the garden? What's going on here? Well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the very first thing that broke down in the human fallout was relational trust. We went from this, this reality of naked and no shame, intimacy and vulnerability and trust to, to like hiding in our nakedness and full of shame, actually blaming one another. This is the gap. This is what's been passed down to us. This is what is in our bones from Eden. So we hide from one another in our shame. We hide from God in fear. And so once again, I just say this this morning. If you are sitting here and, and like the shadow of angst and anxiety is over your heart, if you were just feeling this relational tensions and loneliness, I, I don't think that you are feeling these things because something is in, like wrong with you. You're feeling these things because something is gloriously right with you. You and me, we were created for open, intimate, and vulnerable relationships. Relationships categorized as naked and unashamed. But today, because of like our hypersexual culture, like friendship is, is elusive. We, just, we, don't, we often don't know what to do with friendship. So we avoid each other. Perhaps it's because like we're more connected than ever, but we actually are like, we don't spend any time together. By the way, the amount of followers that you have are not the amount of friends and like intimate, vulnerable relationships you have. But you may, you may know this is true, um, but I say it nevertheless. Uh, perhaps it's, it's because um, intimacy is just recast as sexual. Um, and you, you see, these are not just a problem without, like for those heathens out there. This is a problem in us, in, like in our churches, in, like in our bones, this isolation. This is the gap we experience is a part of our story. And to deny that this is a part of our story is to deny how we're hardwired, which means for, for us, like our relational default setting, it's not naked and unashamed. Our, our relational default setting is to hide. We all, like we all do this. Think about a time, perhaps you were with your small group and it had recently hit the fan and it was really stinky. And you're like, this week I'm going, like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to share. Like, I'm, I'm going to come and I'm going to, we say that we're going to receive each other. Like we bring all of our stuff here. I'm going to, I'm going to share it. And so you get up the gumption and you actually do. And the people who are there, they, they don't really receive it as you'd hoped they would. So right in that moment, you resolve it in your mind and in your heart that you will never again. You just, you, you, you flinch and you close yourself off. You retreat 
and you hide. Or right now, like, is a season where the medical bills in your life, like, this may be a very real circumstance. Your medical bills are, like, mounting up, and you have no idea how you're going to see your way through them. And so you're thinking, this is a community of generosity. That, like, that we talk about giving out of the joy, like, not clinging to our possessions, but clinging to Jesus. Okay, perhaps I could, I could bring my needs to this community. But then you don't know if you could really, if you could really trust them. And so you just act like everything's okay. Um, but inside, like, everything's just falling apart. And then, um, then you start to feel guilty because God's supposed to be enough. Um, like we, all, we all do this. It's amazing. Like it's scary how quick this reflex of self-protection is just wired into us. And self-protection promises protection, but what it actually does is it leaves us more isolated than we were before, more exposed than we were before. It often like situates us in our shame, so then we begin to blame others, and when that fails us, then we begin to blame God, and we ask, we go, like, why did you put me, why here? Why now, why this, why me? Why did you do this to me? And if you recall, this is exactly the question that Adam asked of God. The woman, the one you gave me, this is, this is in our bones. I didn't ask for this. This is the like, gateway. This is the gap. And one of my, um, one of my friends and, and mentors, his name's Greg, um, like he's counseled me through, it's weird when your therapist becomes your friend. Um, I think that that's transference and then you can't be there. Anyway, um, so Greg is my friend and, and he would counsel me through. He had this little saying, he would say, Trust God to trust those who are around you. And that sounds really great. But before Griffin was born, um, I, like, I'm, I'm estranged from my dad. And it scared me to be a dad. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know if the, his past patterns would, of sin would emerge in my life. I, I didn't know. So I'm, I'm like, legit freaking out. Um, it was a beautiful, I'm like, oh, I'm excited, new life, cool. But I'm on the insides, I'm like, I can't sleep. So, so the invitation that Greg presented to me was to trust God, to trust those who are around you. And this sounds like, so what I'm having to do, I'm like having to trust my wife. You're like, oh, this, this is probably the best person to trust. It's super scary to trust those who are in your family to like that they're gonna care for the kid. But then what I do is, I, I don't know if you can relate to this, I have control problems. And so I just think if I could control all of my, in, in my environment, my, then Griffin is gonna be okay. But what I've learned is um, that's not true. It's just not true. Um, case in point, like he's starting to walk and he's like a little drunk person, just like going around. And he doesn't know how to like traverse one surface to another. And so it's just, I can't control those things. And so I get to, I get to trust that the people who are around, like I need people around me. And so when what's baked into this little statement that Greg would say, trust God to trust those who are around you, it assumes that there's people around you. It assumes that there's some one anothering happening. But, but this is like super risky. <laughs> um, See, so all, like, all the stuff, the brokenness, the pain, the death, the sorrow, the fear, there's no quick fix. I don't, I don't know if you've heard this, that you can just trust Jesus and everything is gonna be okay. That's just a lie. It's not, it's not how it happens. Jesus didn't come to get us out of this mess. He like parachutes to be with us in the midst of us. Um, 
And so this is, this is the sobering reality. But the one another's are the hinge upon which this reality swings. And so this is the invitation that we have from us. And, and Jesus doesn't leave us isolated. He like demonstrates to us what this looks like in this posture of vulnerability. And so he spreads his arms wide to receive any and all who would come to him. This, right, this is the posture of vulnerability. This is how Jesus came to display his love for you and for me. This is true vulnerability. Like if I were to walk up to Zach right now like this, he could do any number of things to me. He could, he could kick me. He could hug me, not likely. But um, there's, there's any number of things that if I walked with any one of them, you could reject me. There's a, this is risky. And this is how Jesus demonstrates his love. This is the way forward for us. And it's upside down, it's backwards, it doesn't quite make sense. But for centuries, our passage today, this is, this is like stirred up the minds of followers of Jesus. And what it's done is, is what they end up doing in, this, in the Christ hymn is they go, oh, is it, is it about Jesus' divinity? No, 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 it's about his humanity. Wait, wait, uh, it's about both. Okay, um, I don't think this is what Paul's doing here. I think Paul wrote the Christ hymn to, to say something more explicit. And a gal who's way smarter than me, her name's Morna Hooker, in her commentary on the Philippians, she says this. If we wish to attempt to understand the passage, that's Philippians 2, 5, 6 through 11. If we wish to, um, to attempt to understand the passage in its historical context, we need to remember that Paul wrote what he did here not in order to deal with the issues of Christ's divinity and humanity that so exercised the church fathers in the 4th and 5th centuries, but to spell out the way in which those who are in Christ ought to live. See, Paul is not so much trying to correct some wonky theology. He's trying to set in front of the Philippians how you actually follow Jesus. This is your mind. Have this mind among yourselves. This is, this is how you actually live. And so let's just look at this again, piece by piece. We're just gonna go through this quickly. So Philippians chapter two, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what this means is the person to your right, person to your left, the, whether you know him or not, the person behind you, the person in front of you, um, this is how you're to relate to one another, with the mind of, of Christ. And so um, how does that look? We'll uh, go to the next verse. This is verse six. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. So what Paul is telling us here is, is hard. To live into who and whose we are, it requires not only our minds, it requires our whole person, because what we see here is that to literally open ourselves up to more and more vulnerability, it's going to take this posture, this orientation of, of openness. And according to Paul here, it's, it's actually an emptying of ourselves, which requires our full person to show up. Um, this, is, this is actually, this is what we have. This, this is us. The self, we could call ourselves the self empty if we rebrand, uh, maybe the self emptying ones. There's an, also a church that calls themselves the scum of the earth. Just put, put that aside. Maybe new name. I don't know. Um, but we, the self emptying ones. See, but, it's, but it's like, it's more. It goes deeper. So uh, track here with me. Verse, verse seven. 
this is still talking about Jesus, by taking the form, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And if we think that this is uh, too, too much, Jesus goes a little bit deeper uh, because our mind that we are to have amongst one another is one of humility and obedience. Verse eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's the way of Jesus, the way of one, one anothering is where we let go of our rights. We let go of our privilege. How does, how does that sound? Yeah, that sucks. That's not my orientation. Like I, 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 uh, I've been see people walking around with AirPods and I'm like, I probably need some of those in my ears. I, I want to like, I want to hoard stuff up for myself. And if you have AirPods, like grace and peace, no, no shame in that. Um, but like I see them and I'm like, yes, that's good, yes. And, and that's, a, that's a silly little example, but there's this like self, it's like, okay, so re, like real talk, what, what could I do? Am I willing to hold that loosely is the question at hand. That's what Paul is presenting. Are you willing to hold your whole self loosely? Because to be in Christ is to empty yourself, is to have humility, is to have obedience. And these are like swear words in our culture today. It, like it chafes against what we want. It feels upside down. See, but in the economy of God, the way of love, it, the, the way of love actually sees our weakness as strength. This is the beautiful thing of the gospel. This is the beautiful thing of Jesus coming to us in vulnerability because weakness is actually strength. So it actually, this is the place where we can have our hope. Yet to shut ourselves off to the way of Jesus, the way of self-emptying is to shut ourselves off to the way of love. And this is uh, C.S. Lewis for the win here out of his book, The Four Loves. This is what C.S. Lewis says. So Clive Staples right here. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Sorry, Fido. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers of love is hell. So if you feel calloused, if you feel numb because you've been vulnerable before and you've been blown off, you've been dismissed, I'm so sorry. If it's been done by us, there's no place for that. And yet, and yet, like if I could, if I could this is like, my heart is to like hold your hand and just to gently say, if you have Novocaine of the heart, if you are numb and calloused and you just simply cannot, my invitation to you this morning is lean in. Just, just ever so. 
I don't assume that tomorrow morning we are going to wake up and be like the most vulnerable people and we're going to bare our souls to one another, that we're going to do, like this is, that's silly. No, just ever so slightly to trust God, to trust one another because there is a way forward through the gap and it is this upside down way of one another and it is the way of Jesus. This is the pathway back to naked and unashamed. And Jesus, he had every right. He had every right He was equal with God, but he laid it aside. He put on flesh. And more than that, he became a servant. And more than that, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, the most humiliating death in human history. He bears the weight of the cross to say that through his death, that that's not the end of the story. And this isn't gonna be on on the screen, but check this out. Because if we think that this, that the Christ hymn ends in verse 8, just, just like check this out. This is verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus, yes, there is death. There is pain. He is in it with us but there's resurrection life. That's weird. It's beautiful. It's captivating. This is our Jesus. And so we hold this tension of love amidst suffering and we do it together. We do it in the midst of the one another's and the temptation for our church. And if I'm wrong, just correct me afterwards gently, please. And um, if I'm wrong, but like the temptation is to clam up. It's, it's to be here And then somebody comes in, you go, oh, oh, it's a flinch. Say, no, not yet, not yet. Yes, yet, now, now is the time. Now is the time to spread our arms wide and move towards one another and trust, yes, with the potential that we might get hurt. So as we prepare our hearts to continue in worship. Like, like, I just want you to have in your mind's eye what that is. I think it's silly to provide prescriptions in these moments. <laughs> um, sometimes it's, it's appropriate. Um, but I don't know your story. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know the hurt. I don't know the pain. I don't know the joy that you're standing in the midst of. But what we trust and what we stubbornly cling to here is that Jesus is alive, that his spirit is here with us to meet us. And the spirit is here to lead us into all truth. And, And the scriptures say that when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all people to yourself. So as we continue in worship, I just want to invite those who are going to serve communion to come forward. Um, and I want, I want to invite the rest of us. We're going to prayer, pray this prayer. And I want to invite you to stand with, if you're able to stand with me as we pray as just a a response to the grace that we encounter in Jesus, that when we say that God is not absent from us, that he is present here among us, that that if you come to the bread and the cup, that, that Jesus would be as near as the bread and the cup to you this morning. And that this would be like nourishment for your soul. Yes, it's a tiny little piece of bread, but it would be like nourishment for your heart and for your soul So bring those things to Jesus. Let us pray. 
God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will so that I will be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him, with our Lord Jesus forever and ever in the next. Lord Jesus, come. Come, meet with us. Amen. This has been another episode of the Gateway Church Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.